You're listening to the Forrester Technopolitics Podcast. Inspiring commentary and intelligent insight from experts in the thick of it. Hi everyone, this is Mike Gualtieri. Welcome back to Forrester Technopolitics. We are in Orlando at the Forrester Forum, and I'm here with Mark Canale, who is founder and CEO of Software Development Experts. Hi, Mark. Hi, Mike. Uh, so what brings you to uh, the Forrester Forum in Orlando? Digital disruption, I think, is the theme <laughs> It is this week. It is, and a big part of that is, and, and near to dear to my heart, and I know yours, is application development. Absolutely. And we have some data. Forrester has some data. I know there's some data from the Standish Chaos Report right. that seems to consistently show that software development teams, particularly IT teams, cannot seem to deliver on budget and on time. Uh, you've heard similar things, right? Yes, actually. And uh, by the way, thanks for having me. Um, appreciate oh, that. Yeah, no. Uh, Interesting topic. Um, so you raised the Standish report. I'm yeah. sure you have similar and very interesting data. Yeah. Uh, it's somewhat controversial data, but the one universal fact about that data that seems to be not contested is that the trends are flat. Definitions right. of success and challenge, okay, we have some issues. There's been numerous research papers. But the bottom line is with all of the approaches, all of the know-how, all of the ways of working that have come and gone over the last 40 years, the trend is flat. Right. So, and, I, and I would say even, even without the data, well, data is always important. But even without that, like anecdotally, just you know, being in this business and talking to people, you, know, you aren't really hearing the stories that saying, oh, it's, it's, a, it's a wonderful new day. That we're developing software faster, and 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 you know, at the heart of this is two things. I think one mm-hmm. is technologies, but the other is methodologies. You know, and and which I know that that you've been studying for quite some time. True, true. So, uh, so I couldn't I couldn't agree more. Um, the mood out there is somewhat mixed. I think you could fairly say. Uh, I think the appetite to do better. Uh, is always there. The challenge we have is how to do that, how to, how to get better at software development. Approaches will come and go, and I've done a fair amount of work uh, in the cataloging of where these approaches came from in some of my earlier work. Um, and the interesting thing is that these approaches have emerged from companies where at that moment in time, things worked. Mm-hmm. Uh, the challenge we have is that for some reason our industry decides, okay, well, if that worked there, it must work for me. Right. And in our opinion, that's false. Uh, we need to understand the context of the project. What's false? I didn't, I didn't understand. So what's false is that, oh, a method that worked in the past will by, will by default work in the future. Oh, right. And, and what you're saying is that that's not true. You have to adapt or something. Exactly. Yeah. So, so some of the work that we're doing is to try to understand the the forces that shape our decisions as to which tactics or which know-how uh, we will leverage on a project so that we can answer the question, why? Well, why did you use that tactic? Why did you use that approach over that approach? But are you advocating, are you trying to determine what the best methodology is? Like what is the best, best method, methodology, if I can say it, that people should use to develop software now? So, and that, absolutely not. Um, right. There is no best. There's only contextual um, fitness for purpose. And 
you use the term best method. I would argue that uh, just as best practice is a uh, somewhat um, misleading concept, definitely best method is a misleading concept. Right. Well, you um, know that there's an army of application developers and professionals out there that say agile is the best method. Right, right. And you're not saying that it's not a good method. You're just saying, <clears throat> I think what you said is fit to purpose. There's certain methods that yeah, work yeah. well with certain things. And agile is a big, broad term. There's things within that. So right, you know, it's right, not right. simple either. Right. It, it is a complicated um, landscape that we exist within. And project teams have to face that at the beginning of their project. They need to make tough choices about practice X versus practice Y. Um, agile is a movement that occurred over, a little over 10 years ago. See how old it is? It, it is a baby <laughs> in the terms of, of uh, methodology or in the lineage of methodology. Actually, Agile started in the 70s, arguably by Tom Gilb, in the yeah. Evo approach. Um, and so it, it's, kind of, it's kind of like the grandfather of Agile approaches. But something happened uh, in the early 2000s uh, that, that launched a movement, almost a, a political mm -hmm. counter-argument to the entrenched dogma of the day, which was um, always high ceremony, always a lot of stuff produced, always fit tools into the scenario where, you know, in, in all circumstances. High ceremony, I like that. Yeah, that, that is so, I mean, that is so right. fit because it's just like we'll do right. these things and magically right. results will happen. But, but tell me how, so, I mean, how should firms approach what methodology I mean, I think what you're saying is you just don't choose one methodology wholesale. There's right. certain factors. Right. What are those factors? I mean, how do, how do I, right. you know, how does an enterprise go about this? So um, shameless self-plug here. <laughs> the work that uh, we've been doing recently is uh, a system that helps teams make tough decisions and understand the implications of those decisions, mm -hmm. the risks for those choices, based on the context of the project. Context I'll, I'll describe as... Um, what are the factors, uh, technical complexity, domain complexity, uh, geographical distribution? How many example? factors have you come up with? Ten, uh, nine plus one that's very, very important, okay. culture. Yeah. So we can build the perfect method mousetrap. Okay, but, hold, but let me step back a second. Okay. So there's these ten, ten factors. factors. There's uh -huh. ten factors mm -hmm. that your research has showed uh, that, that should influence yep. the methodology. Yeah that you choose. Yeah. That's fascinating. And this has been around for a while, actually. I can't yeah. take credit for the yeah. fact that we've tried to understand the contextual appropriate, appropriateness uh, of practices or approaches. Um, some of the early work by uh, Barry Bame and Richard Turner at USC mm -hmm. tried to understand and reason about why there was this tension between um, agility and discipline. Mm -hmm. and, and there was a lot of controversy about the, the choice of those two words. Can you list those ten just, just quickly? Absolutely. And then maybe, we can t maybe I'll... Pick one to talk about. <laughs> Absolutely. So size. Size. Uh, you know, what yeah. practices that might be appropriate for a seven plus or minus two team. Okay, so size of the development team. Size of the development team. Okay. Whether it's co-located or geographically distributed. Okay. Whether there is a high degree of technical complexity. For example, are we doing real-time control systems or are we doing a simple, you know, J2E transact business transaction? Okay, I'm sorry. Is... is Complexity, is that number two, or is that part of size? No, no, no. It's a distinctly separate variable okay, so, so let that me, impacts your choice. So count them out, just so we have okay. them. 
So we've got size. Yep. And what was the second one? Geographical distribution. Oh, geographical distribution is, is a separate one. Okay, and three? Domain complexity. Got it. That's the last one. Okay. Technical complexity. Yep. Uh, enterprise specialization. Um, what do you mean by that one? So IT enterprises are structured in a certain way, a certain value stream. Yeah. Sometimes there's choices in terms of division of labor in that value stream. For example, some organizations may have an EA department. Some may not. Enterprise architecture. Exactly. Yep. Exactly. For alignment of mm -hmm. IT to the business. Uh, some organizations may will probably have a PMO, um, development organization. Some may have an acquisition organization, uh, DevOps and service transition, and then operations. So there's a, there's a, a number of degrees of, of specialization that can occur, which impacts the choices. Right. Because the team will have to interface with those various groups. Right. And, you know, some of the some of the, shall I say, silver bullet type mantra that you'll see out in the industry is, well, we'll just focus on the development team, we'll locally optimize to that, right. and we'll forget the rest of the enterprise yeah. universe, which has shown to cause uh, much harm. Um, so moving on to the other, other uh, yeah. specialization, criticality. Is this a life-critical application, or is this just a simple you know, B2B right. or B2C type application? Just some internal form... Exactly, yeah, yeah. exactly. Okay. Um, compliance. Are we subject to a SAS 70 audit in Sarbanes-Oxley, or, or is that not in play? And we may ah, have to do certain okay. other things because of that compliance mandate on our right. organization. Right, for auditability or exactly. other things. And then time to market. Time to market. If, if, if it is a bet the business, get this application out on this date or we are done, uh, that will affect how we approach certain practices uh, than if it is, it is you know, discretionary when we when we put it into production right um, and the funny thing is is you'll see the trends of these of these uh, these various factors overlaid on the types of corporate cultures that can adopt the practices oh and the culture is the culture is the tenth the and tenth it's the biggie because yeah. we could define yeah. the least risky best approach for developing software but if it's not adoptable at scale across the enterprise then this is where we get into the 70% of major change initiatives, yeah. transformation to agile or lean or, or whatever, being no different, 70% of those initiatives fail. Mm -hmm. And that's a huge cost on the industry. Well, let's get back. Can you list those very quickly again, the 10? Just go down the list. <clears throat> the 10. So uh, uh, size, size, domain complexity, mm -hmm. technical complexity, geographical distribution, uh, enterprise specialization, compliance, criticality, time to market. And then culture. And then culture. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> um, I mean, th I, that is fascinating because there's not one that you put on that list that doesn't seem like it, it matters significantly. Yet right. I never hear people think about that. Yeah. It's just you're exactly right when, when people say it's just one size fits all. Yeah. And, and it, it just it makes an incredible amount of sense. So you can, you can think of, um, you know, there's a lot of discussion, for instance, in the Agile community about empowering teams, self-organization. Um, empowering them to, to declare their approach uh, also requires, from a governance perspective, to make good decisions mm -hmm. and to learn from those decisions over time. So if our organization is consistently making the wrong choice for a practice, um, perhaps governance is, you know, the mandate of governance is to say right. we, we can I, steer them towards a better choice. I, I think what you're saying is that some teams are deciding themselves, but they're deciding maybe maybe they have biases or, or they're not taking into these factors. Interesting word you use is bias. Mm -hmm. um, cognitive bias abound. Um, yeah. We make choices, and 
there's many different types of bias that we're trying to mitigate in some of our technology. Um, we, we've built an expert system that will, uh, will flag the, the choices so a team can self-organize and declare their approach. Well, see, this is what I'm fascinated by is this expert system you've built right. because I, I think of the ten factors mm -hmm. that you just listed and then I'm thinking, all right, you know what? When I think of any one of those factors, it makes sense that that should be a factor. Right. But then I start thinking of the permutations and, and you know, how do you – how do you take all these factors into right. account, and, right. and how do you come out with the answer? Right. So, so it makes perfect sense. And, and for people who don't know what an expert system is, it's it's a system that has rules yes. and data embedded in it, which will take in the inputs and, and, and kind and of an, yeah. tailor and a knowledge base. Yeah. Yeah. So um, the the system that I mentioned is the Software Development Practice Advisor, and its goal um, currently today, if if, it, if an organization wants to adopt Modern practice, whatever brand or label we apply to it, modern practice. And typically, you'll hear the terms agile and lean these mm -hmm. days, and you'll usually hear them in the same sentence. Um, they have two choices. One is to get that expertise and hire an army of coaches, a bunch of coaches, which is pretty expensive, but more importantly, when they leave, their knowledge leaves. But so why are you even going there? Because that's like presupposing a certain approach, right? That's like... Right. Well, that's they the only way that's been available today. Oh, well, well, oh that's what you're saying. So what, what we're doing is yeah, yeah. we're actually bringing that's not what you're doing. technology so that we can right. leverage right. those expensive coaches, if you will, on right. the ground. That right. So I want to so go a little bit deeper into mm -hmm. how you're able to achieve this mm -hmm. and, and you know, maybe okay. try to understand how you develop the expert system because there's rules in there, right? As and long as I don't tell the secret sauce. <laughs> <laughs> well, ish, how... Who, kind, who, who put the rules in there? What data? Is there bias in there in terms of putting the rules in? What sort of data backs up these rules? Mm -hmm. And do you have a feedback system to, to improve this? And just kind of explain how, you know, why, why, this, is, uh, why this will work. Okay. So those factors that I mentioned, if you uh, put them in bins, the, the values of those potential factors. All ten factors, yeah. Right. Um, something called data binning. Mm -hmm. uh, if, you, if you basically set up a meaningful set of choices that a team can look at as this is our context. And again, this has been done in industry for, for a while now. Yeah. Uh, but, but then match that to, okay, the team is going to make certain choices about the practices. Those choices represent a system, a management system, an ecosystem, a socio-technical system is, is the proper term for it. They make choices that basically make that system real and how they're going to run the project. Those choices, when matched to the context factors and then run against the rule base, will determine whether or not risk, those are risky choices or not. The team can then choose to mitigate the risk and take a suggested better practice for that context or they may be more risk tolerant. They may say, you know, we really think this is appropriate – Maybe the system hasn't learned enough, so we're going to accept this risk. Right. So paint a picture like using the software. I mean, I know you can't go through all the screens, but, but is, it, is it basically the ten factors mm -hmm. and there's some variability? Like yep. you said, size of team. So geographic – let's take number two, geographic yep. dispersion. Yeah. So there's probably one end of the scale is we're all, we're all together in the same room. Same room. Yep. <laughs> and the other yep. one is we're spread out completely. Right. We're – Right. Well, well yeah. I mean, in, in my experience, I've had geographical distributed uh, programs, very, very large, follow-the-sun type development with, 
you know, a team in San Jose, a team in Tokyo, a team in Beijing, China, a couple teams mm -hmm. scattered around India. That is a different scenario altogether than a co-located team sitting in a war room, uh, you know, on your premises. Right. So, so certain practices will make sense. Certain use of automation or tooling will make sense for one situation versus the other. Mm -hmm. And instead of having a human being always be the one to evangelize and say, no, you can't do that, you can't do that, which is the job of the change agents or the coaches on the ground, a lot of that can be codified. And more importantly, with our technology, our hope is that as, as organizations, and I, I didn't mention it's a SaaS offering, so... Uh, so it's on the internet. It's on the internet. It's cloud. Exactly. We, we do plan uh, on-premise very, very soon. But uh, as, as organizations uh, add their own rules, then the industry as a whole starts to understand all these various corporate contexts that exist mm -hmm. and what they're seeing as rules that should be triggered when uh, certain choices are made for certain context right. variables. So who, who's used, uh, has, what customers have used this? So the current customers, I can't really name them by name, okay. but uh, major financial institutions uh, mm -hmm. in Europe, yeah. uh, here in North America, mm -hmm. um, major university in the Northeast uh, is looking at this currently. Um, we're hopeful because we just launched about a month ago, uh, and the interest and the groundswell of interest is, is looking very promising. Yeah. No, I'm fascinated by this just because the, the just the simple concept that one size doesn't fit all, especially mm -hmm. when you're talking about very complicated uh, software development right. with, with di varying degrees of talent, uh, with different technologies, and, and all those other factors. Now, one of the things I like, talk, like talking to you about, Mark, is that you think about this stuff so deeply and I know you think of everything. So what about, you have 10 factors. What about factors that aren't there? And, and, and Meaning, what are you doing to make sure that you consistently have the right factors? Yeah. So, so one of the overarching goals of, of not only the technology, but the, the vision that launched this technology, the vision was a book called SDLC 3.0. Mm -hmm. That was, was your book, right? Exactly. Yep. Uh, beyond a tacit understanding of Agile. SDLC, uh, Software Development Lifecycle. 3.0. So yeah. some people say, well, what's 2.0? What's 1.0? Yeah. Yeah. Um, it was serving two purposes. One, it was a vision for this product and technology that we have built. But it also served um, as a uh, call to action um, to, to, for the industry to take a hard look at how we're, how we're learning, uh, how we're integrating knowledge. Um, in our view, the lack of integration is the key issue. Uh, so, for, for example, I, I mentioned context factors. Um, Scott Ambler, for example, in the industry has done a lot of work on context factors. Um, and going back to the earlier reference I cited, um, integrating that, instead of just, you know, looking at it and, oh, that's great, but how do I apply this and make it real and get value out of that? Same thing with culture. Assessment of corporate cultures has been around for a long time, but how do I leverage that and integrate it into something that is valuable for teams today on the ground? Yeah. Um, some of the innovations, uh, you know, I could, I could go on. Um, the Well, you're talking about corporate culture, um, but it, it seems to me that there's also sort of an, a software development culture mm -hmm. that likes to follow celebrities or heroes. <laughs> um, Thought leaders. And thought leaders, uh, <laughs> heaven forbid, um, about some of this stuff. Right. And then right. often people just kind of like follow like sheep. And, and, and really what they need to do is understand yeah. that, that one size does not fit all. So, so in all of this 40 years of software development 
evolution and life cycle. Human nature has stayed reasonably constant. <laughs> um, our goal, our bold goal, is to end the world of methodology as we know it. Wow. And the reason is, is that the, the this versus that, uh, this brand versus that brand, which has market potential, obviously, for the people lab- putting those labels out there, right, right. is, in our view, counterproductive. Because the, 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 the core issue isn't building the perfect mousetrap. Mm-hmm. It's how does an organization get better? And that implies a change management exercise. And we know that change management exercises historically have failed on the order of 70%. If you look at studies, I'm sure you guys have better data than, than I've looked at uh, at Forrester. Um, change is hard, and yet we know from this conference, Digital Disruption, you need to change and change fast because the world is passing you by. And yet we have this paradox. Uh, Jim Highsmith was talking about paradoxes. So, so how do we get better? We know that we're flatlining on the statistics of failed projects. We know we want to get better. We know we need to get better to survive. And our view is that the issue is cultural and the issue is inclusiveness. Everyone has a contribution. Everyone knows what they know. They think, you know, our, our Bible of approach is the best and we're going to hold on to that. And another constituency in the enterprise will say, our, our Bible is the best, and they won't talk. So what if, for example, we circle the wagons and, and collect all of the practices? And we've accounted for about 400 at this point. Wow. Uh, and, and then have a conversation about, okay, let's allow Team A to self-declare their approach, self-empowerment, self-organization, motivational theory, all that good stuff. And let's get the data. Let's see what works for our company. And by doing so, we can nudge the corporate culture towards the customer-focused culture that, that I think Kyle McNabb or, or someone at Forrester was talking about earlier today. Nudge them towards the responsive culture, the ad hocracy culture, the market culture, customer-facing, by changing the management system or the approaches we use to deliver software incrementally, not in a you know big design, bull-in-the-china-shop type approach, which is currently some of the tactics that are used to introduce, for example, Agile. Uh, I've, I've seen a lot of constituencies, a lot of people in enterprises disenfranchised by some of the aspects of the Agile movement. Mm-hmm. And, and that was never the intent by the original people who, who were trying to express what they thought was a good way to go. Um, but, you know, human nature has a funny way of twisting and turning things, and, and I've seen, you know, many examples of this, mm-hmm. so... Hopefully that answered your question. <laughs> yeah, no, that that was uh, that that answers the question. I, I just, you know, I think the takeaway for me is is that one size practice doesn't fit all. And, and when you said there were like, you know, you've counted four hundred of these things out there, um, you know, that's just amazing. And so, it'll continue to grow. Right. We're not a, a static point in time. We'll right. continue to learn, and the hope is we'll learn as an industry. Right. Uh, because you know, for an enterprise to to leverage the learnings from the broader industry. Currently, they have to sift through all of the fog, the, the noise of, you know, this approach is better, and this silver bullet is better, and this flavor of the day is better, and, and what's a team to do? Yeah. Mark Keneally, thank you for joining Technopolitics. Thanks for having me, Mike. All right, great. Uh, what was your first program? You've been listening to the Forrester Technopolitics Podcast. Read more about the technology fuel disruption. And join the discussion at blogs.forester.com.